Well, hello, Retro's Living Community. It's Lonnie Main coming to you today, and I am absolutely excited to be here with you. We've got a guest that I'm excited to introduce, and I know you're going to love her, and she's just got some amazing things to talk about. As always here on the Retro's Living Podcast, it's our goal to give something back of value, and we strive for that each and every week. And today, you're going to get a lot of value. So my guest today is Erica Ariel Fox. She is the New York Times bestseller of a book called Winning From Within. And I am in the process, I haven't finished it yet, of reading this book and I am loving every bit of it. She's also 20 years faculty at Harvard. She is a senior advisor to McKinsey. She went to Princeton and Harvard, of course. She's co-founder of Mobius Executive Leadership. She's a senior advisor of Egenzender. Did I say that right? Egon Zender. Egon Zender, which is an executive recruiting group and doing a phenomenal job there. And she's a regular contributor to Ford's Leadership Channel and the Harvard Business Review. Not to mention, she's been to the moon. <laughs> she, she is a I'm working mother. with Elon Musk on uh, getting to Mars. So I want to know more about that. So we're going to have to get into that. <laughs> You might have to ask him about that. <laughs> well, it's an honor to have you here. We've spent some time chatting before the podcast today and realized that we actually needed to do the podcast and, and give all this value back to everybody. So, Erica, welcome. Thank you, Lonnie. I'm, I genuinely am very happy to be with you. Well, thank you so much. You know, one of the things that we talked about is our, our goal collectively to give value back. And I've mentioned that a few times now. And uh, the purity of your message, and we've talked a little bit about red shoes, and we'll get to that at the very end. But I want to just take a minute. You know, you've had such an amazing career, and my sense with you, it's why I have everybody like you on the Red Shoes Living podcast, is at the core of who you are as a human being is an incredible human being. I know you know Dina Kaplan, who we had on here a few weeks ago. Love and, Dina. Yes, and I felt the same way about her. But just give me a sense of the core for our audience of who you are. Who are you? Oh, my goodness. Who are any of us? Well, that's a question that can be taken on many, many levels. Um, so let me just say a word about my purpose, the way I experience my purpose. As you just said, Lonnie, I have the privilege of being in a lot of very conventional environments. I went to very schools. The CEOs and businesses I work with are very conventional environments, and I've always had a really strong interest in mythology, psychology, anthropology, sociology, um, and wisdom traditions, various contemplative traditions, timeless wisdom, and I see myself as trying to stand on a bridge between these two worlds, um, the world where people have influence and are getting things done, and running global economies and, you know, making decisions if they have hundreds of thousands of, of employees that affect a lot of lives and people who I think can benefit enormously from some of these wisdom traditions and um, understanding more about personal myth, their own leadership myth. But there are very few ways to connect those two worlds. Those are not people who are going to the self-help section of a bookstore. They're not going to a retreat. Uh, unless their marriage is in trouble, and then they sometimes go to a marriage counselor. Uh, they're not in therapy, by and large. So I would say part of who I am is someone who has both parts of those selves in me um, and who's trying to be a force in the world of bringing those two things together. 
Well, thank you. And it, it's, I know it was a tough question right off the bat, but that's exactly why I asked it is I do get that sense that you're, you're the bridge, you know, and in learning about you and reading and talking with you, you work with some incredibly powerful people. Mm. And I think it gets lonely at the top and there's not a lot of people to talk to like that. And I, I do want to jump right into, you know, the book and the, uh, the dialogue. And, and I jokingly told you, and no one's going to get this right off the bat, that I have four people here with me sitting with <laughs> me at this podcast. And, and I want to just introduce those people. And then maybe we can get into that a little bit. But I have the dreamer sitting here. I have the thinker sitting here. I have the lover. And I have the warrior sitting here. And as I listen to you talk about your work and how you bridge the gap, if you will, and I know that's something else we can talk about, mm. why don't you just tell me a little bit about what it is that you've discovered in, in all this you know, work and experience and research about those four people? Well, I love that you have that awareness because I know awareness is such a pillar of your work and the awareness of these big four sitting with you is fantastic. So... You know, people talk all the time about self-awareness and measuring managers and leaders on their self-awareness. And you talk about awareness. Very few people have an actual understanding of the self. So it's hard to build self-awareness if you don't even understand what your self even is or means. And I've become really passionate about giving people a simple, useful map of their inner life, of the different components of who they are to come back to your first question in a way that they can quickly understand, they can build awareness of these different aspects of who they are, um, and yes, become more effective, and I also think lead more meaningful lives. So in this map of the self, which has seven elements, the big four are the ones you named, the dreamer, the thinker, the lover, and the warrior, which are universal aspects of the human condition. You have them, everyone has them. You have more awareness of them, probably now. Um, but yeah, it's a massive jump in people's skillfulness um, and understanding of their impact when they understand what you just understood very quickly about these four aspects are there all the time, whether you notice it or not. So literally, we're waking up every day and these four people, if you will, board members are waking up with us and some show up a little stronger than others, potentially. You know, I would say it somewhat differently, which is if you have some really long practiced habits, if you have patterns that have been with you for a long time, you might wake up in the morning and only one or two of them wake up. One or two of them are still asleep and they may not even think you're interested in them waking up. So they're pretty quiet until you figure out a way to invite them in and let them know you actually want to have their perspective. Otherwise they could stay asleep for, you know, many decades <laughs> because they don't see you looking for them during the day. So they're like, okay, well, we're checking out here. Will you fly on autopilot without us? Yeah. And I, it, it, and I know we'll dive a little deeper into this too, but I'm thinking about these four um, individuals and different people that I've worked with. And to your point that have, that have really, the warrior has come out for this specific individual, the majority of their life. And then they get in an environment where they're working with, and they're a legacy leader, they've been around a long time, but they get in an environment where they're working with a different generation, uh, possibly the millennials. And there might be a dreamer or a lover or something like that that needs to come out a little bit more in order to get the individual or the culture to go further. So how do you, 
how do you take this concept? And if I'm jumping way ahead, pull me back. So we know it, but how do we, how do you work with, you know, individual leaders with understanding that? One shift that is really important is when people get introduced to the big four, they say, Oh yeah, I'm a big warrior or, you know, Oh yeah. Like I don't have a dreamer. I'm a big thinker. And it's really important for people to understand. Actually, you do have all of these four aspects of who you are. You may be drawing a lot more on your warrior, but the over identification with one aspect and say, I'm a warrior. Uh, you're using your warrior more than other parts, but it is really important, particularly if you're trying to relate to groups, teams, or generations that have a different profile than you to appreciate that you have all these aspects in you and it's not a type. It's not uh, something you're sort of stuck with. The profile means this is how you're operating today. This is the set of inner patterns that you've become comfortable with and with awareness and practice, you can reallocate the attention you pay to these big four and then you're operating differently. Right. And so is the, is the goal to keep balance or I guess there's an incredible awareness about the four, the big four, but then also to keep some sense of balance. Would you say that's, that's the goal? I think, um, without, you know, slicing terms too much, I might say harmony more than balance. Um, because in a certain situation, maybe you need a really clear warrior. You know, if a little kid is running into the street and there's a car coming, you're not really looking for balance. You're just looking for stop. You know, I mean, you're just, you want force of will. And that's not a moment of balance. It is though centered behavior in that situation. And if your teenager just had their first breakup and they have a broken heart, we might say, yeah, balance of all the four may not be helpful right now. You want to open your heart and connect to your child and listen and explain, you know, life is long and there's going to be other relationships. So your lover might step forward and the others might step back. So it's more about having conscious choice and knowing what you're doing and doing it for a reason, as opposed to, you know, everything I do all day, I have all four in balance all the time. It's more about, I know in this moment, what's fit for purpose with this group of people. And I have enough awareness, which is what I talk about as the lookout, mm-hmm. the part of me that's looking in to myself to see what my big four are up to. And then using what I call the captain uh, to decide, to choose to choose something that skillful means. So in the last 48 hours, I have really honed in on this personally. In fact, I went online and you've got a profile, an assessment where you can go and answer a series of questions. And I know it, it, it's, it, you know, you and I chatted about this. It's, it's not the perfect science behind it. It's a little bit more like a Cosmo quiz than a <laughs> scientific assessment. Yes. Well, I will tell you this, that being said, so there's the caveat, but that being said, it, it, I took it one time and I kept the purity of taking it one time as a reflection on where I was when I took it and what showed up in, you know, where I was high in one area or centered in another area. And I was low and I was low in an area and then centered yet in another. And a f- yeah. friends of mine said with a smile on their face, by the way, Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> interesting is always such an interesting exactly. word when and you get feedback that something is interesting. Right. But I took it for the spirit of that. And we'll put a link by the way, in this podcast so people can go and, and have some fun with this and really kind of check in 
with those four, uh, you know, uh, people, if you will. And the focus for me is, I, and it, it is situational. And yesterday is an example. I had a lot to do. And so the warrior definitely showed up in my personal relationships. The warrior was carrying over in a way that was actually not really productive and being well received. And because I was aware of it, the lover came back in and, and slowed down a little bit and said, hold on, you know, let me understand you for a minute. How is your day? And how is, you know, what's happening? So I, I find, find it, found it incredibly powerful. And I mentioned to you earlier, it's something that I'm going to work on even further. And if we may for a minute, Eric, just, if we can just take a minute and maybe describe those four to us and in your way. Yeah. And here, Lonnie, what you just said, I think, is the place where balance does come in as an important idea. Because you can do a super quick inventory if you have this lookout awareness that looks in and checks on your big four like you did. It takes a minute before you go into a conversation to just check in, you know, where's my lover? Where's my dreamer? Where's my warrior? And where's my thinker? are they all present? Is one of them too quiet? Can I have them all available? Um, and that's really helpful. Uh, and the way that you did it was like, hey, in this moment, is this helpful for my personal relationship? Maybe not. So I think about the, these big four almost like your inner top team. You know, people can understand that you have a CEO who has vision and strategy and um, a CFO uh, who's like the thinker. Uh, who's gathering data, who's measuring compliance, um, who looks at facts, a lover who's connected to people and builds relationships and earns and maintains trust, and a warrior who's about execution and implementation and getting things done. And um, the notion of having a top team could be if any one of these executives were missing from an important discussion or debate, you would miss an important perspective. And the same thing is true of the inner top team in your own life inside of you. If you're missing the perspective of possibility um, or perspective or performance or people, if you're not looking at every one of those vantage points, uh, you're going to miss something important. So you do want to check in with all the members of your inner top team. So the question as you were talking and I was listening to you intently, but something came to mind um, about your individual work. And I would imagine your work is incredibly enlightening and rewarding at times. Talk to me about that a little bit. When you really know that people connect with this and maybe they've been, you know, really focused on a warrior or even a thinker, you know, all the way. And they start yeah, to come, you know, to that awakening of, wait a minute, there's more to me. Yeah, you used in some really beautiful language, you know, there is a quality of awakening when people rediscover a part of themselves that has been shut down for a really long time. We did um, an executive workshop a couple of years ago, actually, and we had two executives from the same company and they went through this whole experience and that included ways to cultivate your inner lover, you know, as well as the other big four. On the last day, this executive turned to the other person, it was another man, from his company, and he said, I've been working with you for 15 years, and this is the first time I've seen your face. Wow. And it was 
so profound. I mean, if you think about that, you know, like yeah. I've taken international long haul flights with you and we've been to a hundred conferences together and, you know, I've known you for 15 years and this is the first time I've seen your face. In other words, I see your humanity. I see the soul behind your eyes. I see the longing. I see the heartbreak. I see the joy, you know, the, the inspiration. Um, I see you as a full 360 degree human being. And if, if that were possible, you know, which is part of my dream, um, if people who lead organizations and families um, and countries could genuinely see each other in that way, in that depth, with all of that humanity, that would be a different world than the one we live in. You know, so I got a little emotional as you just went through that. And I immediately thought of a number of individuals that I've worked with in the past and, and at some level, maybe seeing them, you know, uh, wake up one of these other personas. But if we could go into a meeting with people that we didn't know at all, and have them do some type of a quick assessment Yeah, that said, you know, what shows up for you today? Is it the warrior? Is it the lover? Is it the, you know, imagine walking into that room knowing that and then how we would communicate with people depending on where they were. We, we would understand a little more of their story potentially if we knew who was showing up for them on that day. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about a situation where people don't know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of that is what I've seen in many different uh, examples when you have an organization where starting at the top, including many, many people, you know, just reading this book, um, starting to use the language of the big four and it, you know, very quickly becomes sort of into the corporate DNA, you know, into the water stream, uh, the water of the culture. Uh, It's very efficient, you know, because people can give each other feedback, like, dude, you're really in your head. I get the data. I see the PowerPoint. We got the thinker. Um, you know, what do you want us to do? Inviting the warrior or, you know, why should we do this? What's the meaning and purpose behind this? Like, I need a little bit more from your dreamer or, you know, you're, you're flying solo here and this is a team we need to collaborate we need to do this together. So can we talk about the roles each of us is going to play to contribute? I'm looking for your lover. It's very efficient to call, not just at the level of awareness, but also at the level of behavior. (laughs) You know, when I call this part of you forward, I'm also saying you have skills in each one of these areas. Your dreamer, lover, thinker, warrior actually have skill sets. And it's very hard to do the constructive behavior that lives with each of them if you're blocking them out of your awareness all the time. Right. So I thinking about somebody that I used to work with, it was a thinker and what often use their thinker a lot. Use that. Thank you. Who use their thinker (laughs) a lot. Just got to keep that idea. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm going to get this down. And we would have conversations about, you know, the, the lover side. Yeah. Yeah dreamer side that we didn't use that language, of course, but I made the comment to this individual one time. I said, listen, you are much better at the the lover than you think you are. Mm -hmm. You've just, you know, been in a role literally that has been a thinking role for so long, but I've watched you connect with people. And when you see them, just like the story you told about, it's the first time I've seen you, you know, and I watched this individual again without the language start to open up in a way that I'd never seen before. And it, you know, clearly made him feel very good. And I want to share this now anxiously with him to say, look, this is probably what was going on 
during that time. Well, Lonnie, I'll tell you something else. You talked about, you know, people being lonely. And oftentimes in the beginning of working with an executive team, it's like, oh, we're all warrior thinkers and, you know, we don't really use our lever at all. And eventually when you're able to achieve some sense of trust and intimacy, you start hearing like, oh, I feel really lonely. Or sometimes I feel really scared. I don't know if this cultural transformation is going to work. And we start to help people understand like, oh, when you have the experience of loneliness, that's a feeling. That's not a thought. You know, that's not an impulse to take action. That's a feeling. That's the lover saying, I feel scared or insecure. I, you know, I feel vulnerable. And sometimes it's not about trying to awaken one of these parts, but just to actually notice. Actually, you do have an emotional life. You're not used to thinking of it that way. But, you know, your emotions are talking to you loud and clear. You're just not acknowledging them uh, or understanding that this inner lover is talking to you. Right. Just had a conversation with a leader this morning about that very thing. And and I have a question for you related to that. Do you believe with the work that you're doing now, is there, is there more of an openness and a vulnerability with leaders today? Does it seem like it's heading that way? Uh, Unquestionably. And part of that is just pressure. People are being told you're not an authentic leader. You're not an inspirational leader. You know, people want you to be real and they're coming to me saying, I genuinely have no idea what they're talking about. Like, what does that mean? I'm supposed to be authentic, you know? <laughs> and these are people who understandably, you know, they have, uh, they're managing a PNL, they've got great results, they have shareholders who are happy, and they're saying, what's this authentic leadership? So there's almost a call on them to figure out, oh, I have an inner life. I have to understand more of who I am. I have to bring more of the depth and range of who I am as a human being to my leadership role, because that's what these times need from me. So even if it's not an intrinsic longing, which for some people it is, uh, there's still, it's just a moment, you know, in business life that people understand this is something that's needed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. I, in the work I'm doing, I'm seeing the same thing and it's, it's encouraging to me. It's just like our conversation. I think we're seeing people that are trying to put the ego at the door in an effort to come together with common, you know, goals and visions to do good things in the world. And, you know, again, for me, I, these, these four things, checking in with them and really understanding them more and going further, I believe over time will hopefully make me become the best version of myself. And I think that's all anybody really wants is that. When you, when How you do you see um, Red Shoes Living linking up with some of what we're talking about? Because I think you and I have a lot in common in terms of our sense of the world and our sense of ideas and practices that can start moving the world toward a future of more wholeness, toward a future of more humanity, where people's stories are honored. And, you know, when you because I can feel that you get this material, you get it quickly, you're using it and sharing it. And, you know, how does it connect to what you're passionate about? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. And I, so to your point, I connected with it very quickly and that doesn't often happen. Uh, I'm very protective and, and believe in the philosophy of red shoes living and I've seen it change people's lives and I get stories and, and for me living that concept also says I'm going to, I'm going to continuously improve as a human being yeah. and I'm going to live to a higher standard. And when I say that, I always caveat this. Now there's a human factor. I believe that's important to take into account. I'm not always going to get it right as I'm trying to, to 
show up with red shoes or I'm, you know, sometimes the warrior is going to come out when the lover should be there. And, and, and so I, I, I leave myself room for error, but to answer your question directly, I don't know how I can be the best version of myself and live a life of red shoes, if you will, without understanding those four mm. people. And so, like I said, in the last 48 hours for me, and I hope everybody listening in really dials into this. I think, you know, most of you know me by now well enough to know that I do get passionate about things, but when I really get deep into something, it's important to me. I think this ties in almost um, perfectly. And I've, you know, I've had situations in my own life professionally where I brought a warrior in when a lover was needed. And, you know, if you ask most people, they would say, well, I've seen both of those, but there's more of the lover. I will just tell you when I did this profile, I was low on lover. And I, yeah, I reflected on that and thought, okay, now wait a minute, where's, where's that showing up? So what I did and is I started checking in with people. And I was getting people smiling at me going, oh, yeah, we've seen that. And I'm like, what have you seen? <laughs> you know, what components are showing up? Tell me. Right. But in my conversations with some of my friends and, and even some of the executives, I'm checking in on that now. Right. So I think it fits perfectly. I, I keep in my mind envisioning somebody in their car right now thinking about this discussion and clearly wanting to learn more. But, you know, driving, say, up to Park City where my office is to meet with me or somebody else and checking in with that and saying, where, where, where am I? And, and why am I where I am? If the warrior's kicking in and I've got multiple meetings today and I'm slaying dragons and then I got to go home and take care of the kids and, you know, I've got this and that and all this stuff going on, then, then what shows up? And then, and here's one for me, and I'll just kind of pause on this one. It's in transition that I am starting to realize that, you know, if I am CEO for eight or nine hours a day, hour 10 and hour 11, that I'm not, I'm probably not the warrior at that point. It's more the thinker or it's the lover. And I think I'm bringing the warrior into places that is not necessarily the best place to do it at that time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I want to just touch on, because you said it, the seventh part of the map of the self, just so it's not just uh, dangling out there, which is what I call the voyager, which is what you just named is a part of you that is learning, living, growing over the course of your life. So I say to people, you're not the warrior, you're a voyager. And exactly what you said, you're going to make mistakes. It's not about being perfect, but it is, uh, it's a lifestyle. I'm committed to not just having experience, but actually learning from them and growing as a human being. Um, the warrior is a tricky one because it doesn't necessarily mean you are yelling at people or you're snapping and agitated. Um, the warrior is the skillful use of willpower and the impulse to get things done. So sometimes probably your listeners have heard a lot about the amygdala hijack. Um, and when you're, you know, cruising along being effective, something really hooks you and all of a sudden you're totally de-skilled, you're off center, perhaps you're yelling at people, you're freaking out. Um, an amygdala hijack, even if it makes you angry, is not your warrior coming out, right? So um, you could be in an amygdala hijack um, and what's needed there is 
um, ways to calm the limbic system, to calm the central nervous system, you know, to bring yourself back to center, to get back to your captain, what I would say. Um, so the question of am I centered or am I off center in general right now? Um, as you've said, you know, am I connected to the best part of who I am or am I just hooked and, you know, not very conscious at all of what I'm doing? people do often confuse that with, well, I got into my warrior because I was being aggressive and pushing people and I was really stressed and upset. And um, that's not necessarily the warrior. Does that make sense? I know that's a little bit complicated. Yeah, no, it does. And I'm learning. I just don't want to give the warrior bad name. Right. No, I, I, it does make sense. And I appreciate that. I think that's exactly, you know, from a personal standpoint, probably what I was going through because the warrior is critical. It is. And um, if I can give you an organizational example, I mean, we're talking a lot about an individual profile because especially I'm really interested in individual senior leaders, but an organization also has a big four profile and a culture. And because we've talked a bunch about how the warrior can be an overdrive, I just want to offer a different example, um, which is a corporate example, but also very personal to me. Um, I happen to have a genetic blood disorder, which is quite rare. Um, and thank God the medicine that is needed to keep me healthy um, is available. And it's an infusion that I have to have, uh, essentially giving me an enzyme that my body should be producing, but it's not. So the main company that produces this medicine, upon which everyone who has my disease relies, was so visionary, was so um, passionate about solving orphan diseases, uh, meaning, you know, very rare, you know, it's not like diabetes or high blood pressure. Like this is, you know, can we find these like rare disorders that are really um, life-threatening to people? The founder was so visionary. And then they had, uh, what's the word I want? Like um, something compromised in the plant. Like it's an infection, not an infection, like a contamination or something. And they had to shut down the plant that makes the medicine. um, And everybody said, okay, well, you know, where's the backup facility? Like, oh, well, there was no backup facility. Why was there no backup facility? Well, it just didn't occur to anyone that something would go wrong in the plant. And they're so driven by vision. So it was a dangerous situation. Well, we really never thought that through. We never thought about what to do. There's no risk management involved. There's no, um, you know, action taken to make sure if the plant gets contaminated, that's the word I wanted, contaminated, um, you know, what's our backup facility. And as a result of that, you know, this great visionary culture, um, you know, all of us as patients for a year, we didn't have any medicine. And, uh, you know, again, thankfully, you know, I did okay. Most of us did okay. We're back on the medicine now. But just to say, you know, even a dream, which is really uncentered, a visionary leader who is not in balance or harmony with their other parts, in this case, the, and I would actually, and also a strong lover, they were very committed to patient care. They were very committed to helping people. That inflation of dreamer lover um, and really, rejecting or almost ignoring the intelligence of the thinker and the warrior created a very serious breakdown for accomplishing their purpose of helping patients. So really any of these profiles, if some things are exaggerated, others are rejected in an individual leader or in an organizational culture can get you into trouble. Well, so you've got me thinking now. In fact, that's brilliant. I I appreciate the example. 
in, the, in, the, in my past doing acquisitions and mergers and bringing organizations together, the red shoes concept, we would always put at the center and say, okay, as we go through this acquisition of another organization and we integrate right. the culture and the people, yeah. is it going to be red shoes like? Is it going to stand out for the positive? And we would, we would come to a decision and literally somebody would say, okay, let's double down. Is that red shoes? Mm-hmm. And everybody knew that meant, is it a higher it's standard? so brilliant, Lonnie. It's so brilliant. Well, and, and sometimes, Eric, it would be no. And then the question was, does it need to be? And then we would have that discussion. But the important thing was that we came to that juncture and we asked that question every time. And what you just described in terms of the profile, I, if I went back in time and I would still go through the red shoes thought process, but then I would cover all four of these and yeah. say, okay, so where does the, where's the dreamer fit in in this? And the, you know, the thinker, let's really think this through and the lover, like, what are we doing to people as we take them through this change? And then the warrior. So there's some hard work that needs to be done here. We need people on planes and we need people in front of people and bringing the organizations together. Well, mergers and acquisitions is a really interesting example of this because, you know, the massive majority of mergers and acquisitions fail, even though they have a really compelling business case. And people often say, well, they just couldn't merge the cultures. You know, they couldn't get the people uh, to work together. And one of my lenses on that would be to say, well, you had a culture that was very high thinker, very high warrior, and then you had a culture that was very high dreamer and very high lover. And in what way did you pay attention to creating a new culture that had room for all four of them and helping people on both sides individually and as teams and as business units, uh, you know, understand that they needed to stretch the profile to have all four that will enable a newly merged organization to come forward with, uh, as I said before, a 360 degree human culture. If you don't understand that, then you have, I think what we see most of the time, which is decent business case organization, you know, merger acquisition fail because you couldn't bring the people together. And that's why, for me, I find the map helpful because it's efficient. You can understand it. And actually there's a lot of depth underneath those words, you know, on one level, they're simple. You get it. On the other hand, you know, as I said before, there's centuries of philosophy and psychology and mythology underneath these are archetypes. They're fundamental to the human condition. And so when you start working with them, they're not just superficial labels. They're very deep and profound aspects of culture and they need to be respected. You know, the thing that comes to mind too is a sense of slowing down before you speed up. Yeah, right. Right. In, in any situation, whether it's in the personal, in your personal life or your professional life or in making decisions or in mergers and acquisitions or whatever the case may be, but it's like, hold on, let's just slow it down for a minute. Let's check in. And I, I would imagine you see the same thing, but sometimes we move and so do I so fast we run by the things that are so obvious and in my work and in years of, you know, talking about red shoes and sometimes people look at me and say, that just seems too simple. It seems too straightforward. And I know there's incredible science and research and years of this behind your work in this book. But when you really boil it all down, if, if you just stay completely focused in the most simple way, and do what I've done the last 48 hours and really check in here and really understand what's going on. I'm just getting going, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I'm excited about the future and and using, you know, your research and work to, again, be the best version of myself as well as share it with others. I just, 
It just makes all the sense in the world. It doesn't have to be complex. Right. Well, I, so here's a question for you personally. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how you personally use this methodology or how these things show up for you on a, and I'm not trying to get personal, but I'm curious on a personal side and even on a professional side, how, how does this yeah. work for you? I appreciate the question. I, um, I very actively check in with myself using my own lookout where are the big four and I get curious when one of them, when I can't hear one of them, uh, you know, like I just check in with not just, are you there, but like dreamer, you know, what's the wish or longing that you're feeling, you know, as the thinker, you know, what are the, uh, what are you thinking about? What are you trying to do problem solving? Where's your attention at? Um, et cetera. Um, and sometimes when I do a quick check in, one of them is basically silent. I can't hear where they're at. And uh, one of the things that I do is create, take out a piece of paper, create like a little symbol. could be the simplest drawing in the world that just, oh, here, here's a heart that's going to represent my lover. Or, you know, um, and then just write down a little dialogue. And just like, hey, lover, where are you? I can't hear you. And, you know, it sounds silly, but it works. Yeah. Um, and then you put a little like, okay, heart, and write down what your heart wants to say. And it's just, um, a purposeful invitation and um, you write it down and you're like a transcript, like a Hollywood transcript, you know, here's what you say, here's what they say, here's what you say. And you'd be surprised how clearly these voices will speak to you if you ask them directly what's going on. So I do that, you know, several times a week. I do that, like just create this little symbol and have a little dialogue. It takes a few minutes and you get a lot of insight that there's a part of you that, need something that you are not paying attention to that you are not satisfying and then you know you can figure out how do I give that part of me what it needs so we can move on as a group right so this happens to me with red shoes I'm wondering if it happens to you do your friends hold you accountable now once they understand this and know do they do they harass you friends or family about oh boy here comes the lover or do you get that? You know what I would say, what I find really funny, and I'm sure you find this the same. When I'm at my best, when I'm teaching, for example, I feel the quality of my presence is so high. I am so present to the people who are there. I feel like I have easy access to all of my big four. And then I come home and then I'm a train wreck like everyone else. And <laughs> like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, wow, I had three cups of coffee before this podcast that was probably not the best thing to do and like everybody you know my big four are out of whack and I'm I don't even notice and and then it's just you know just coming back again and again like you said just trying to figure out oh, that didn't go well well was one of the sides of myself you know leading I mean you know we're all imperfect and okay. so what I would say more is just that, that I'm aware and probably you know the people I live with and work with are also aware of these extremes you know, when I'm very centered, when I'm attuned to the people, and I have a high level of discernment of, you know, which aspects are present in the group and not. And again, you know, then I go home and, uh, you know, I'm a mess like everybody else. <laughs> I love that. And I'm smiling because I'm thinking about all kinds of things that I've been through and that have happened to me in the last little while because I do get held accountable if I, you know, if I'm unkind. <laughs> I don't know if that's lucky for you or not um, lucky well, for it's, you. Well, it's I actually... I a train wreck without anyone really holding... Well, that's not true. My husband would not agree with that. Actually. <laughs> I think... It, well, I don't think. I know that I appreciate it now. Early on, it, the standard I was being held to because of, you know, the way I was talking 
I used to just shake my head, but now I think, no, thank you. You know what? I was kind of, <laughs> I should have yeah. left that driver in or, so it holds you to a higher standard. And that's why I've left room for the human side of it. Just what you're saying is sometimes I'm a mess. Sometimes I just, I'm not red shoes, you know, or sometimes in this case, the, the warrior is just gone, you know, again, warrior's good. I get it. But yeah, sometimes yeah, it goes yeah. a little too far. Right. Right. I mean, to that extent, I will say I do hold Voyager consciousness, for lack of a better word. I see myself as a living, growing, developing, evolving human being. And um, I do have compassion for myself when I make mistakes. I do um, try, you know, to say, yeah, that totally didn't work. And I do feel really bad or like that speech was terrible. Um, what went wrong? Because, you know, I'm a good keynote spe speaker, but that really didn't go anywhere and I do try to learn from it and say okay you know that wasn't my best talk ever and something went wrong because I'm usually good at this and I do have a voyager stance towards myself and I think I do identify these aspects of self most with that one yeah uh, you know that that it's a journey and we're all traveling along the road of life and you can do that on autopilot or you can pay attention and try to learn and forgive yourself and keep going and that, I, in terms of my own practice, I think that may be the most important. I, I'm very committed to the idea that all of us are constantly evolving, you know, through many, many, many decades of our lives, even at a neurological, you know, brain chemistry level. We know that from neuroscience. We're just constantly growing and changing even our, um, even the patterns in our neural pathways. Right. And I, and I, and I, I my own personal perspective on that is that it's exciting when you recognize that and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's scary, but every day is a new day and, and, and we're, we're evolving every day. Yeah. But you have a really high level of awareness. You're, you're talking moment to moment, like, Hey, in my car, did I like you know, <laughs> steal that person's parking spot? I mean, you're talking like you pay attention to yourself, man. You really, it's amazing. And you've built a culture where your team sounds like you're, you're clear that you want that accountability you want that feedback and you're you're paying an amazing and beautiful amount of attention to how you show up moment wow. to moment in your day it's really cool I appreciate that and I think that's also why the component uh, you know having Dina on a couple of weeks ago with meditation and yep. you know, we've had uh, Casey. Oh, Dina Dina is another beautiful example of someone who holds herself accountable Dina yeah. Kaplan to you know if she's being true to her principles if she is being mindful if she's stressed out and over pushy to people she notices she brings herself back to center and yeah I think you you are very much like that well I appreciate it and and, and to that point and I wanted to get here early on and I kind of got lost as I tend to do when I'm so interested in, in a subject but the, uh, the concept that people are so hard, it's not a concept, they're so hard on themselves. And I, again, I, I'm probably not, um, uh, I'm, I'm also hard on myself, but I, the executives and leadership teams that I talk to, you know, they, they put so much pressure on themselves. And so I'm constantly trying to get them to a point of awareness. And what is it? Is it sleep? Is it, you know, let's make sure you're sleeping and staying healthy and meditating, whatever the case may be, so you can show up on Tuesday as the best version of yourself. In your work, do you think people are too hard on themselves? 
Oh yeah, it's amazing. You made me think about a person again. I, you know, I lead these executive retreats a couple times a year, and someone said something that really struck me. This is a phenomenally accomplished person by traditional measures of success, um, and he was talking about legacy and talking about how you know over the course of his career he really hopes to make a contribution, um, and every day uh, it resets back at zero, meaning everything that he contributed. <laughs> you know, for the last 25 years and Monday and Tuesday, well, it's Wednesday. And so we reset at zero. And wow. I just thought, wow, you know, talk about being hard on yourself. Like if every single day, uh, you know, isn't the, you know, the best of who I am, the biggest contribution, the highest impact I could ever have and everything else I've already done doesn't count. Then if you have an off day, you know, where does that go inside of you in your inner life and your, you know, talk about the inner critic. I mean, and I tried to help him reflect on how harsh that was. Yeah. So a side question on that is ego. You know, I, I, uh, we all have an ego. I have one and I try to check in with that at times as well. How does ego play into this? My experience of senior executives is actually somewhat different, I think, than the way people see them. You know, when I was having that conversation with him, I saw vulnerability. I saw someone who had a deep fear of failure, someone who had disappointed people earlier in his career, terrified of disappointing them again. People, I think, are quick to, I'm not saying you are, Alani, but I think people are quick to see um, the persona, you know, the way business people present themselves. And if you get beneath that layer, the things that, you know, there is a sense of egoic protection, but it's often protecting not arrogance, but vulnerability. Right. So that's also something that I work with people on of like, yeah, you've got this tough, you know, bravado and people think you're intimidating or aggressive or arrogant you know, what would it be like to show them the human being that's underneath that? And, um, and often that itself is a huge discovery for the person himself and, or herself, but it's usually himself. Um, yes. You know, what's beneath that ego protection is a real multifaceted human being. Well, I always say that life is happening, right? When we get in that mode and, and if, the, if it's the ego or fear or insecurity or whatever is in the way, it almost uh, blinds us of life, like the good things that are happening around us. And I mean the simplest things from the sun rising to the snow falling to the meal that we're eating to the people that we're sitting in front of and having a conversation on. And I, you know, I've made a comment before that it's important to gain perspective and, and perspective can give you some sense of clarity. But to gain perspective, you have to put yourself out there, right? For me to gain perspective today, I, we had to connect. And already I've got much more clarity in the last 45 minutes or 50 minutes or so than I had if I wouldn't have put myself out there. So in essence, if you and I would have never connected, I wouldn't have gained the perspective. I wouldn't have the clarity that I have now. So it's kind of a linear, linear path. And, you know, I agree with you. And I think the world, I don't think, I know the world is starting to change. Good leaders are opening up, and I appreciate what you just said, and I'm glad that's what you're seeing, is there's some vulnerability and some openness to come together and work together. It might take a little bit of time to get beneath all that, but I'm discovering the same thing, and I am seeing some incredible work that is happening out there, and high performance, too. Right, it's not right. just warm and fuzzy. This is high performance stuff where people are like, look, 
I, I check in and I now know that, you know, if I go to this organization or this division, it's a new division and I need to bring a little more of the lover as opposed to the warrior based on this. Yeah. And I'm aware of that and I'm going to bring that. So, yeah, I think the surprising insight for a lot of these people is, you know, I've understood that I need to bring that quote lover forward for employee engagement and I've understood for retention and I've understood people need this from me. What is shocking is now that I'm bringing that forward, I find it really delicious. I find it really nourishing to feel the support of my team. I find it incredible that I ask for help and people help me. And so there is a, a sort of a shift from the transactional, like conceptually I understand why as a leader, it's good if my people feel like I care about them uh, to when I actually open my heart to the people in my organization or my clients or my customers, people are honestly shocked to find that it's fulfilling for them to have that, you know, safe and appropriate quality of intimacy in a, in a organizational setting. And frankly, for a lot of us, that's where we spend most of our time. Yeah. You know, so being cold and shut down as a leader doesn't only harm the people around you and the culture you create, you're ripping yourself off of some of the most, you know, beautiful, remarkable, meaningful aspects of being human, which is genuine connection with other people. Love it. You know, a thought just came to mind that what you're helping executives, leaders, people do is bring a sense of home to work. That's exactly right. And I say that because I've had multiple experiences where in the work environment, I see a little different individual than I do when I go to their house because they've invited me over for dinner. And I, when you open that component of their life up and they bring the appropriate at the appropriate time, those components back in to the work environment, it just shocks people. And I agree with you. I think then they light up and go, wow, I'm glad I brought that vulnerability or openness. And can I build on that, Lonnie? Please. Because there is the actual home, the one that you're talking about, like part of who you show up as in your personal life. Um, and, there's also the sense of coming home to yourself. You know, can you rest at home in who you are with all of those, everything we've said, your successes and failures, you know, uh, your accomplishments, your dreams, all of that. And my experience is everybody wants to come home to themselves. You know, everybody wants to rest in who they truly are and the best of who they are and Part of my teaching is about that, which is, you know, that being at home in who you are, can you lead from that, which again is sort of complementary to, but slightly different from, you know, as you show up in your personal life, can you bring some of that to work? This is a kind of homecoming that would impact how you show up in any context. Right. Listen, I, I want to say this. I think the work that you have done and you are doing is so critically important and I know you being an authentic person you know you don't want the accolades you don't even want me to really promote the book but you know for those that are listening go read the book because what you're talking about there is this performance gap and the internal struggle that people have with these four you know people if you will that show up and and how we can come to peace and I and I will tell you peace that word comes up in probably 80% Absolutely. of the meetings I'm in, people want peace. And Absolutely. they think if I wait and if I can get enough money or if I can do this or I can do that, someday I will have peace. And what you're giving them as a way to have peace 
right now. So we could talk forever. I already know the minute this hits, hits the wire, people are going to want to hear more from you. And I hope we can connect back and um, continue to evolve together and, and, and work together. I, I've got two questions, one of which um, is about you and where you see yourself and where you're taking this work over the next, you know, two, three, four, five years. Where does it go from here? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say it is so comforting to meet like-minded travelers. So I'm very happy to have had the chance to connect with you. Oh, you. Um, you know, I think I struggle with the, uh, this question the way many people do, which is I have a longing to have impact. I have a longing to um, reach people of influence to guide the future towards wholeness, towards, as we've been talking about, you know, more humanity. Um, and then I ask myself, oh, so should I write another book? Should I, you know, do these uh, sort of high-end exclusive retreats for 10 executives at a time and really try to foster individual transformation? Should I work with big companies and help with a culture transformation? You know, should I go around and speak at conferences? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I know what I feel called to do and what I um, feel uh, I'm here to do and how to accomplish that, you know, what the form is, I find very confusing. And I try not to resolve it, but just live with it. You know, maybe meeting you is a big turning point in my path. I don't know. I feel right now, as I said, I I'm passionate about accessing timeless wisdom and bringing it more into the mainstream. I'm passionate about bringing these four into, you know, the notion of basic leadership competence is that you have this self-awareness and you have this agility with your big four. But like, what will I be doing three years from now? I have no idea. Yeah. I will be trying to find a way to get this message out. And I'm open, you know, to where life takes me to do that. Well, I think with all of that being said, you're going to be incredibly busy over the next couple <laughs> Yeah, but then I'll listen to you and say, slow down, go slow to go fast, <laughs> listen to Dina, don't be too busy. Right. And that's the, that's the challenge, right? You want to have impact and you also, those, those teachings are right. Go slow, be still, listen as you've said so beautifully, listen to the music. Um, and I think that's what we're all trying to do. Well, I personally thank you, and I, I do have one last question, but I do want to thank you for, you know, being who you are and doing the work that uh, you do, and you do it for the purest reasons, and I think if you really realized how many people in companies and organizations and leaders, et cetera, that you have helped, you'd be shocked, mm -hmm. and I would tell you, please keep doing it, because the work that I do, it's needed, it's, um, it's helping me, and I'm just beginning, so I, I thank you for that. And then the last question is I always ask on these podcasts is understanding red shoes living. And I think already people get the sense that that's who you are. You stand out for the positive, but how does, how does red shoes show up for you? Okay, Lonnie, I have to tell you the honest answer. The honest <laughs> answer, the first thing that came to me when I started looking at your stuff, this really is going to be not deep at all. <laughs> um, so I live in a bunch of different places. Um, I have places, I have a place in Europe, I have a place in New York, I have a place in Boston, um, because I'm very blessed to have those opportunities. And, but I have stuff, you know, like makeup or shoes or jeans or whatever. And I can't just keep taking them all over the world all the time. So I have three sets of stickers, like all my hairbrush, my makeup, everything. I have three sets of stickers. And I know if I pick this up, this lives in Boston. So don't take it on the plane. And I must tell you, all of my things that live in Boston 
have Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz red shoes, stickers <laughs> on them. So when I thought red shoes living, this is like all my Boston stuff has these red shoes. And I immediately felt a connection with you. I am and, so glad. <laughs> but I'm not kidding you. I was like, wow, I have red shoes all around me. That may be the best response. To that <laughs> I, I know. I know that's a profound transformational sharing of red shoes living, but I must say that, you know, those red shoes are really helpful. Dorothy Boston. Yes. Stickers. stickers. I yeah. Think I think that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. Maybe after this, I'm going to take a picture of one of my, uh, you know, my mascara with a picture of red shoes. I'm going to send it to you. I love it. Share it with us. Well, Erica, I think we should end right there. I, I We shouldn't be deep. This is exactly where we should be. So <laughs> I, uh, again, Red Shoes operates on so many levels. Right, it does. And it's, it's, the influence is unbelievable all the way down to Boston and Stickers and Dorothy. So I am so grateful for that. Well, I am grateful for your time. We could talk all day. I know it's so Lonnie, thank you so much. It is such a pleasure. Really a joy thank you. to talk to truly, you. Truly, truly means a lot to me. And, and uh, please go check Erica Ariel Fox out. She's a phenomenal human being. And, uh, and I'm going to have to find her a pair of red shoes to send to her. So she's got some real shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving from stickers to the physical world. That's exactly right. Hey, thanks again. I wish all the best to you and look forward Thank to staying you, connected. Lonnie. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao.